Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. At long last, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I, I never knew there was such a pause there. I guess my middle name is like an ellipse or something. Yeah, I think that's right. What is your middle name? Is it Eric? How did you know that? That's I, weird, Dave. I've I just got so. a reservoir up there. Wow. I, I understand that you have a good memory, but when would you have ever had the opportunity to know my middle name, Dave? I'm feeling a little creeped out. I mean, clearly at some point in the last decade. Plus. I mean, just like when you're in like grade school and you start to have a friend, you say, hey, what's your middle name? I think it's kind of like that. Yeah, no, because yeah. I, I, like um, I like to address people by their full names on occasion. Um, so I think it was probably in the, in the uh, you know, in the, you know, it's, it's another thing to call somebody. And I like to call people a lot of different things. So My wife, I know whenever I hear my middle name, I'm in, I'm in kind of pseudo trouble. Yeah. Or not pseudo, just straight just up. Just actual trouble. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Well, we have a lot to talk about today, Tracy. Beyond, we do. Beyond just been, the etymology of your middle name. We've been neglectful. We have. We have. Um, but now we are back. I am without a migraine, so we're ready to roll uh, yeah. today. That was the reason why we, why we held off for a while, because Dave was confronting and trying to overcome a pretty crippling migraine. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking uh, two and a half to three days of solid, you know, solid. I want to cut off one side of my head. So that was and and you went ahead and and did that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I am half brainless, half headless. Um, I think it's improved everything, honestly. Like, I mean, you're. Uh, would you say you've lost any in the looks department? At no, all? I think I've gained okay. if anything. It's I've kind of got a, an aura of mystique now. With only one eye. <laughs> do you swoop over your hair over yeah, it? Yeah, no, it's or, sort of a comb. Do you wear a bandana? Like, that was one of do? the beautiful parts of it is that I'm kind of losing my hair a little bit. So now there's more to kind of go around on the rest of it. Because I maintained the hair when I was when I was uh, surgically excising half of my head. God, is it just a pulsing membrane up there? I mean, now, or do you? Are, well, the you're not hair, covering the hair's it? covering it a okay. little bit. Um, okay. And, you know, I, I try to wear hats more. Now, <laughs> you never wear hats. That's BS. I know, I know, I know. But I tried. You went you know, too. You went too far right there, Dave, with the hat thing. <laughs> I knew it was unbelievable as soon as you said hats. <laughs> but we're back. That's the important thing for everyone out there. We're back from ha- the dead, half brain, from the half, half brain, brain, from the uh, from the excision, um, and we are ready to talk about UCLA sports. And I think I'm now in a unique position to talk about UCLA sports. I think being half brain certainly helps in that regard. Um, we, <laughs> uh, you're so, still smarter than most of us, Dave. Half a brain brings me down. All right, so we've got to talk. Uh, the improved depth chart for football in 2019. Um, I think you know Chip Kelly was obviously a longtime listener to the podcast. Was like, hey, you know this th- these two guys, they're maybe onto something about holding you know 69 scholarship players for next year. Maybe we should add a few. So he went, he walked. I saw him at the camp on Saturday. He walked right by me. He's all, Tracy, when's the next broadcast? God, I, I'm, I'm just missing it. Right. That's right. He, yeah, exactly. And, and, and now he gets, you know, a little bit of uh, encouragement because we're going to be complimentary about those moves. Um, we want to talk a little bit about Mick Cronin and just uh, what he's put together so far, the job he's done so far. Um, 
a little bit about but the real story of UCLA sports right now. Yes. Is uh, go ahead. No, I was just, I was kind of doing a virtual drum roll for you. Oh, great. I mean, are we talking about the uh, unique chance the, uh, the, the, the program has given it's kind of standing in the universe? No, I was moving right ahead to softball and baseball. <laughs> Tracy, we outlined this seconds ago. Seconds ago. I just got excited, Dave. I know, but I was like, that's not a drum roll. Okay, then another topic we hey, want to talk about is the unique chance that the UCLA program, especially in football, has in kind of the complexion and world of athletics um, based on kind of a thread we saw on the board this week. And then, and then Tracy... We want to talk about the major sports at UCLA, softball and baseball. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we're just going to become all softball and all baseball all the time. Dude, on this is wall to wall coverage of softball and baseball. You can find it on BruinReportOnline.com. We do more not people mess would rather read stories about a successful softball and baseball programs rather right now than the other programs, which is evident easily by the page views. Absolutely. So I'm half joking. No, and I'm 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 more or less not joking. It's okay. I mean, and I think it is like, you know, a lot of it is obviously the people who are subscribing are probably the much more inclined to read the football and basketball stuff almost exclusively. But I think the casual like UCLA person out there, they just want to see some, you know, what's going on with UCLA these days. They see, you know, they won a national title in a sport, they're excited about it. They'll click on that story. Especially with the dramatic way the softball team won. But, uh, okay, let's talk about other things first. Yeah, yeah, God, we're going to get to that. That's what I want to talk about. We're going to get to the whole thing. Um, All right. So, uh, obviously, one of the biggest stories in the last few weeks or months, actually, um, for UCLA football is just kind of the the slow little – the the periodic additions uh, Chip Kelly is making to the depth chart. Um, Most – uh, prominently, I would say, is the most recent one, which is uh, the addition of Colson Yankoff, um, the redshirt freshman transfer from Washington, quarterback, um, who may or may not be eligible for 2019. It's uncertain at this point, though the NCAA has certainly gotten more lenient with granting eligibility, but we, we don't know quite yet. Uh, but he's a former four-star guy, dual-threat guy, um, and uh, certainly adds some talent to that depth chart at the very least for this year. And might, I mean, where are we where are we ranking this? Because I know you had a scouting report on him, and and there's you know obviously he was a good prospect, but do you think there's any chance he supplants Dorian Thompson Robinson, assuming he does get eligibility for this year? I don't. Yeah, I'm kind of um, in the same boat. Yeah, uh, in high school when I when my opinion of him was that he, he's a great athlete. He's an exceptional athlete. He has really quick feet, uh, and he's fast. Um, I always thought his uh, just his arm strength. Well, his arm strength was okay. It was just kind of his mechanics need needed to be developed some. Uh, so I thought he'd take some time once he got into college. But he had the chance to be, you know, a, a very good college quarterback. I think he's still somewhere, you know in that development he's just coming off one year of of college so he's got a ways to go the scouting report out of washington practices was that you know he had a lot of tools he's just he was kind of swimming and getting to know the the offense uh 
and still just developing the arm mechanics, the throwing mechanics. So I, just given that, I, I don't think I don't think he'll be able to supplant uh, DTR. And I'm going to go on a limb. I think Austin Burton is probably going to stay number two also. Um, I just for having done this for so long and seeing what it takes for someone to come in and make an impact at a program in their first year there. I, I, you know, there've been only a few quarterbacks who've been able to do that since we've been doing it. And I know they're freshmen, but he's, he's a redshirt freshman. He's not that far away from it. So I think, I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside, but I think he's a ways away, but it does give UCLA that, that potential PAC 12 level quarterback, on the depth chart that they were missing uh, beyond just two guys and gives them insurance um, in case, you know, they're, they're riddled with injuries this year that there is one more, you know, PAC 12 level quarterback there. Yeah. And you know, obviously you would love a little bit. I mean, I, I think in an ideal world, they would have found some grad transfer who can just come in and play immediately and, you know, give them even some class balance. This, you know, obviously these, now three guys. If if Colson Yankoff is eligible, I mean they're all like hovering around sophomore. You know, it's Austin Burton redshirt right. sophomore, Dorian Thompson Robinson sophomore, Colson Yankoff redshirt freshman. Like that's you know not ideal class balance, but um, you know still it it solves the immediate problem, which is giving them a little bit more depth for this year, and and then uh, you know the competition will. I'm sure it will be heated next spring as well. Um, but obviously a huge pickup. We've been talking about the quarterback depth chart for a long time now. Um, and adding a third, third, you know, real body there is uh, is huge. Um, another guy um, that transferred in um, who will be eligible this year is graduate transfer Jason Harris um, at outside linebacker. He came from Illinois State, if I'm remembering correctly. The Redbirds. The Redbirds. Um, so obviously, the hope there is that he adds a little bit something to the pass rush, especially with Keyshawn Lucier South, his status still being kind of up in the air after he was absent from practice in April. Um, what do you think the likelihood is that he ends up in that, at the very least in the two deep? Well, that, this is just like an incredible shot in the dark. <laughs> um, it, uh, it's hard. Uh, what is, you know, what is Illinois state? What, what level would they be uh, practically like, a JC player coming in. Yeah, I would say probably. Um, I think physically what I watched of him in in his tape, he was playing in a four, three and he was about six, five two forty five, and to play defensive end in a four, three is tough at that size, but to play outside linebacker in a three, four where he's doesn't put his hand down as much. He can, he can run around more. Um, doesn't have to, try to dip inside tackles. He can try to get that edge. I think fits his game a lot better. Um, I, it's so hard to call this, especially with Keyshawn Lucier South completely uncertain for the season. Uh, but if I were just lining up outside linebackers that I think might be ahead of him, um, I, I think Elijah Wade and Odua Isabor are Two guys would be more like strong side, you know, who are more like true 
defensive ends and not and they're not pure rush guys. I think they're going to be at one at one end. Those two guys will combine. On the other side, there's Keyshawn Lucier South, and obviously if he comes back, but I'm I'm going to say I, I like. I like Lenny Toaloa and Jay Smalley. I, I've watched them enough. They flash sometimes in games. They had good springs. Uh, I, I'll be, I think we should be surprised if Jason Harris is better, more effective than either one of those two guys. Now, a lot of people are going to be going, oh my God, we can't get anyone better than a walk-on. Jay Smalley, though, even though he's six foot and like 225 pounds, he he can make plays. So he made plays last year. Made plays last year. I, I'm I'm really kind of skeptical. And then you've got like Josh Woods, and I don't really know what they're going to do with him because now they were they were pretty thin at outside linebacker. But now, if, if you count Keyshawn Lucier South, they literally if you have Keyshawn Lucier South, Adua Isabor, Elijah Woods. Lenny Toaloa, Jay Smalley, you've got five guys right there. Um, and Josh Woods, who had moved to outside linebacker, is it didn't look like he was going to get time necessarily at inside linebacker. You know, I think he's more naturally of an outside linebacker. I don't think he quite has that physicality to play inside. But we'll see where they, where they plug him in, too, if he – when we did watch him play, he showed kind of a penchant for being able to rush the quarterback. So that might be what he does at outside linebacker. So there are, there are a ton of question marks here. Um, I don't think – I'm going to go on a limb and say Jason Harris doesn't make – isn't a starter, but probably uh, – too deep is a bad way of putting it is in the rotation at outside linebacker, even without, even without injuries. Yeah, what, uh, I, would be, what yeah. I would be interested in seeing um, more is if, if this allows one of the younger guys to move back inside, um, and maybe even Josh Woods or whoever, because if you're looking at it from a continuing depth um, question, like having a grad senior this year doesn't really change the issues at linebacker and the issues at linebacker going forward are really on the inside because after this year, they're going to lose Tyree Thompson, Chris Barnes and Lokeni Toa leaving with, you know, our bro depth chart, just Jabari Anderson and Bo Calvert. Um, so I mean, maybe moving Josh Woods back inside, but maybe also taking a look at some of these other guys and what they could potentially do back inside. Um, and, and remember John Ward was recruited as an inside exactly. linebacker. I think they might've just moved him outside the spring because they said, wow, uh, we don't look. We don't have a lot of depth there, and if especially if KLS doesn't come back, but he might move back inside. And, and Lenny, Lenny, Lenny's played. Lenny Toaloa is yeah. all over the place, inside and outside. So, yeah. so yeah. getting one of those guys because this might give them the freedom to like practice them then inside, and then they'll feel better about the depth going into, you know, twenty twenty twenty. Um, right. So, right. in all, all in all, a good move, even if it is just a depth move, and then. You know, another, and this one is actually big, um, graduate senior uh, Wade Lees coming in as the punter. Um, you know, and we, I think we both kind of, Colin Flintoff grew on us this spring watching him, you know, at the beginning of spring, looked maybe a little bit uh, questionable. And by the end of spring, you can really see the potential there, but obviously practice is a whole different thing from games. Um, Wade Lees kind of solves that to an extent. 
um, gives them a, a, a punter with experience who can come in, and he's got that Australian background, which I always like in punters. So this looks pretty good to me. Yeah, the number one thing, seriously, in punting, and um, a lot of people don't really get this, is just if you can execute the position, that you can catch the ball and get the ball off and, and you know, average 40 yards and you do that safely and consistently without, you know, without succumbing to nerves, you know, doing a, a poor drop and shanking it for 25 yards. I mean, we've had some punting you know, <laughs> mishaps in UCLA's recent history in the last five or six years, that, that goes a long way. So you bring in this guy who's a three year, I think, I think he started all three years. He's punted 200 times in three years. Yeah. He's only averaged 40 yards a punt, but he's very good at pooching. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's really key. I don't know what his net like what, what is net, you know, there's some, you know, all these stats and there's some stat out there for punters when you had the opportunity, you know, within to put, put it within the 20. Yeah. Yeah. They have all that stuff. I, I'm not, yeah. I, don't, I have it in front of me, but yeah, he, I mean, well, we can look all of that stuff. Up. You don't have that in front of you. No, at all, God, no. At all times. I should, I should, I failed you. But I think that that was huge. And I, <laughs> when I said, Hey, there's this, you know, this key grad transfer, who's visiting and I got so much flack from everyone because it was a punter. I, I thought everyone kind of realized how important it was when you didn't have a scholarship punter on the roster. So I think he, I think he's vastly important that he, he does that, uh, that they have him and that he's able and capable. Um, and the fact that he's 31 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, get a little age on there. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, is it, is uh, he knows he's been with the team. It's a little awkward that 31 year old, you know, hanging out with some 18 year olds, whatever. He can buy him beer, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he can do that. I don't know, but kind of strange, but yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think people might be underestimating that. And in our, Top thirty most important Bruins of this. Oh, he's this making upcoming. the list. He's making my number twenty nine or something like that. He's on that list. Oh hell yeah, he's absolutely on that list. Yeah. Now we'll see if he makes John Evergreen's list. You never know. John John is kind of just he's a he's a wild he's card. out there he's, he's a, a wild card he's a wild card. You never know what John's going to do. You never you, do. you really don't. That's what I always say about John. And if John's on some kind of a loose, you know, hallucinogenics when he's doing the list or, or whether he's not, you know, sometimes he needs it too. Yeah. No, sometimes if, if he's deep in that, you know, in the valley of, uh, you know, a hard hangover from the hallucinogens, then you don't know what's going to come out of him then. You know, he really, well, needs to, he really needs to settle in the middle where he's had enough uppers and downers to just kind of be at an even keel. And living in that shack out with no electricity yeah. or running water and just, you know, getting, getting the information from him and how much internet access he gets to be able to. I had to do you remember that year I had to learn Morse code to translate his picks? Yes. <laughs> yes. That was, a tough, yeah. that was a tough couple of months learning that. Well, because he's got to go out back from the shack and out like about a hundred yards, and take, and there's this one place that picks up Wi-Fi somehow from his cell service. Yeah, it's kind of weird. 
wild, wild time. Yeah. Um, um, anybody else? I think, I think we got everybody, right? No? Christian Grubb. Oh, yeah. Grubby. Damn. So yeah. what do we think? Uh, I thought it was I, – I liked the pickup a lot for a, a few reasons. Well, mainly is that UCLA was looking to bring in at least one running back in the 2020 class. Um, I personally always like having a really deep running back. Uh, if you can maintain that and their guys willing to stay, even though they're third or fourth, I really like having a deep depth chart at, at tailback. Um, and 2020 class are just, is, is not a great class in the West at all. If, if you watched his senior tape and put it up against some of the 2020 senior tape, you would probably think he, he was among the handful of best on the West coast. So you know, he's going to come in, he's going to redshirt. I think it's a good, it's a good pickup. You can never argue with four, what was he, four, five, uh, I'm sorry, 10, five or 10, six hundred meter speed. So always get as much of that speed on the roster as you can. Absolutely. I think that's right. And then last, uh, is this the last one? Josh Harris? Is that right? Josh Harris? Yes. Juco tight end. Yes. Uh, we just saw him on, on campus. An interesting, interesting uh, pickup. We've talked about it on the side a lot. Uh, has never played tight end. Um, was a quarterback. Went, he, went, he did missionary work. I, I never knew if that was like Mormon missionary work or, uh, you know, formally. Came back, <laughs> went to a JC, played quarterback. I think he had some injuries that set him back and then just started working out at tight end. San Jose state goes out to see him, uh, working out at tight end immediately offers him. There's a connection there with UCLA. He comes on campus. You know, I saw him physically. He is, he is probably legit six, five ish. And he can move. Uh, still, still pretty thin, but he can really move. Um, I think I wrote somewhere. See, sometimes I don't know what I wrote or if it's just in my mind. If I'm just living in my mind, Dave, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that tight end position, I think, is kind of like a, a catch-all for, for Chip Kelly. Just bring in your jumbo athletes, your 6'6", 240-pounders who can run and develop them and see what they become. You know, maybe they're offensive ta- – maybe they're tight ends. Maybe they're offensive tackles. Maybe they're – Outside linebackers, maybe they're four-eye defensive ends. Maybe they're um, quarterbacks. Who knows? <laughs> I don't think that would be a possibility. But yet, I think, you know, Michael Martinez, we'll, we'll see if he stays at tight end. I mean, this has been a long-running topic of discussion. I think there's going to be, you know, a lot of guys that he brings in and puts at tight end and then sees what happens with them. And and um, Josh Harris might be one of those guys. Yeah, and from a from a class standpoint, I mean, he's a sophomore, so you're getting you're, you're getting somebody for a number of years. So this is a really good pickup from that perspective, and that gives you time to develop him um, into whatever his wherever whatever direction his body might take him. I think now I had said that they might have one counter left, but I think they're full now. Um, you know, it's a complicated little formula because some guys count against the counters before, count back, count everywhere. But I think right now, the class that's 
you know, I, I guess it's called the 2019 class. I think with all the guys they've now taken that you can take within this one cycle, I think they are full. Yeah, the, so, only, the only way they could have added more, I think, would have been if they'd enrolled them prior to um, it, prior to the start of spring quarter. Um, right. then they could have counted them against the previous class. Right. Um, but see, I don't even know how many of those are counting towards the previous. It's, I just think right now, from what I've heard, they're full. Um, that's why I'd said they might be going after a wide receiver, but I think they're full now. Yeah. And what do you think, what do you think about not bringing in uh, offensive linemen? So I've got, so, all right. Um, I think traditionally, uh, a big worry and in our previous Jim Mora, um, offensive line world where they seemed to, um, never develop mostly. And then also, um, just, uh, and maybe we should talk about that. Um, also injuries sidelined a number of these guys. Um, I'm really pleased so far with the development that's being done by Justin Fry to the point where I'm not, and I know the depth chart just at a high, you know, at a, at a, at a, you know, 10,000 foot level or whatever doesn't look great. But the fact that Jake Burton went from the, the weakest starter last year to maybe the best one on the team in spring makes me believe that it's not as big of an issue as the the actual look and feel of the depth chart would make it seem. Um, these guys are going to probably play above their weight. Um, and, you know, I mean, look at, Bo- well, look at Boss Tagaloa in a single offseason went from a defensive lineman to a, a very good offensive lineman. Uh, Chris Murray is a true freshman, looked better and better. Mike Alva's even playing with a bad back improved last year. Like by the end of the year, he looked better than he did at the beginning of the year. Um, and Jake Burton obviously went from, you know, maybe the worst starter to the best. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about it. Would it have been nice to get another guy, especially a grad transfer, and come in and play immediately? Yeah. But I, I guess I'm just, it's not, it's got to be a concern, concern but I'm not hugely. Playable depth. We haven't, they didn't really experience any injuries last year, which was highly unusual. Um, just if someone, I mean, first off, let's start with Mike Alves and his back. Uh, he he played out the season, but then toward the end of the season, he was rotating. Uh, and then in spring, they were using him judiciously. <laughs> so uh, what is going to be his status going in? And, and then if someone else gets hurt, I, I mean, they are right at the precipice in in. My opinion. I mean, I don't know. Coming out of spring, the guy who looked the best, who wasn't a starter, was Baraka Beckett. But I didn't think he was really anywhere near uh, playable, like another year away. Sam Raza, the walk-on, played a little last year and got through it. Um, I think I think what's huge for next season is really – how good Sean Ryan is. And I don't even say that as a projected starting left tackle. I think just to use him, I think he'll be the sixth guy pretty much. Um, If someone goes down inside, Mike Alves can't play. Someone goes down on the outside. I think he might be the next guy, the next guy up. I think, I mean, we're all kind of, some of us are penciling him in to start a left tackle I think there's so much to be said at the tackle spot for having been in the program for a year. And Alec Anderson, 
you know, looked better than I expected. He didn't look fantastic, but he looked decent at left tackle in spring. So I think Sean Ryan's really key because there's no one else who has that level of talent. And one thing that really I think is key, and it's a little detail, but it has it has reverberations that Sean Ryan couldn't come in for spring practice. Would have loved to have had him in, him in and just get those, just not spring practice, even just since April, just to get him in the program. Um, still the biggest, I still think it's the, the depth at offensive line is the biggest question mark on this team right now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a fair argument to make. I, I'm, I'm confident in the Fry era. I like the starting. I, I mean, even without a clear left tackle, I, I, I have, I, Justin Fry proved himself last year to me. I like the starters that they would put out there. I'm just worried about literally one injury. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, that. And I mean, frankly, if we're playing the averages, two or three um, on the offensive line. So wow, you so just just jinxed that right there. No, I think wow. I reverse jinxed it. I said it. I said it boldly, and so I think I'm I'm providing the reverse jinx. In fact, they'll get they'll get a, a player back from 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 medical retirement now. That's what's going to happen. They're actually going to finish it. plus one okay. on the season. I got gotcha. So should we talk Good about job. should we talk about the the lawsuit that uh, filed by the the three former offensive linemen? You go first. Okay. So uh, three former UCLA offensive linemen, John Lopez, Zach Bateman, and Puasi Mawala, um, are. It wasn't clear from the story. I think they're all joining in on a fifteen million dollar lawsuit. Um, they're represented by the same attorney. I don't know if they're separate actions. Um, but they're suing UCLA, Jim Mora, uh, one member of the training staff, um, I believe offensive line coach Adrian Clem as well. Um, uh, he was named, at least according to the LA Times. Yeah, uh, he was named in the rest. suit. Yeah. So um, all of those guys are suing them um, for, in Lopez's case, um, he uh, claims to have suffered multiple concussions at UCLA um, and that uh, the coaching staff did not and training staff did not take them seriously and also did things on the practice field that exacerbated the injuries um, to the point where uh, he claims he um, attempted attempted suicide due to the concussions um, and then Moala and Bateman are claiming similar um, negligence about injuries and how they were treated um, in terms of those and um, it's all you know it's it's all you know kind of of a piece with the general tone around injuries now, um, and uh, their claims are all kind of um, similar. Uh, Moala and, I believe, Lopez are both claiming that they are experiencing the symptoms of CTE uh, resulting from those injuries. So that's all, it's all really interesting to me because, I mean, you remember from all the post-practice interviews and things Jim Mora said to us, you know, just even outside of a camera situation that, you know, uh, it's a very. It, it was a very familiar refrain from him about you know we don't mess around with head and neck injuries and all of that. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to see what if anything comes of this if it doesn't get settled immediately or whatever because it'll be interesting to see how much that lines up with what UCLA's actual policies were at the time and how they actually you know dealt with these sorts of things if if that comes out in the discovery process at all. 
Yeah, I didn't read actual detail. Was there? I mean, I did read a few of the. They did cite some some instances. I don't remember that Jim Mora was was cited in any specific instance. I, I mean, I know Clem was. No, Clem. It, it looked like the specific instance was Clem, but I think they were including Mora on the action mostly because he's the head guy. Um, but no, it was Clem um, specifically with respect to Lopez. Um, some drill they did on the field where he, um, you know, told the, it was one of those like, I don't know, macho drills where you're supposed to like beat each other up and they told him to, um, hit Lopez particularly hard, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, some of that stuff like does pass my smell test, like stupid stuff goes on on a football practice field and absolutely like a bunch of macho dumbness happens, um, but I, I would have to imagine there would have to be more than that for it to be an actionable thing. Um, you know, some deliberate harm created um, from that actually exacerbates those particular injuries. And I, it, it'll just be really interesting to see what comes out, if anything, um, from this. Um, uh, yeah, I'm really interested, too, because in, in my knowledge and on the record and off the record, I I had only heard that Jim Mora had done everything he could to even overcompensate for concussion, concussion protocol, and head injuries. Um, uh, if something, that's why I'm really curious. I, like you said, I, I would have to put some stock in that some things did happen, um, but probably on a, a lower level that Mora wasn't directly responsible for. So I guess he as in like UCLA being sued, he's also being sued just because he was the responsible party for what was happening right. in his program. Yeah. And I think um, that's the impression I got. Right. Um, so I would say I wouldn't doubt that a lot of the things that did happen on like some of those lower levels, like down in, you know, offensive line drills happened, but I, I don't think it was endorsed at the high higher level within the program in any in any I'd be shocked from what I know and what you know. Um, I mean, you, you can say some things about about Jim Mora, but my impression of Jim Mora is that he, he really the number one thing that all those most of the players, if not all the players have come away from the Jim Mora era is saying he really he really cared about his players. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. It, there's some things that pass the smell test and some other things I, I don't necessarily that don't. <laughs> yeah. And there, and some one note in the Reed story that struck me a little bit wrong and it was kind of the kicker at the end of the thing was um, he wrote that uh, during that fall camp, I think it was in 2013, X number of players missed time due to concussions. It was something like seven or eight. And I'd my thought on that, having been around football programs a lot, is if you're getting reported concussions that sideline players, then they're, this, this conspiracy to get these guys you know, further injured or negligence or whatever, that's not happening. The negligence is when these things don't, get even, don't even get reported. It's when guys are just like, okay, rub some dirt on it and get back out there. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he was writing that as if, oh, it was a particularly brutal camp, which it was. I mean, I'm not going to just... Was that, that was the, that was the SEAL camp? Too? It was, yeah, it was the, well, no, 2013 was, no, 2013, well, maybe it was the SEAL look, camp. 
look at you with half your brain. You would have remembered this. I would have remembered this one. Fun time. I think Seal Camp was the final year for Hunley, so I think that was 2014. But I could be wrong. Um, okay. But, but in any case, I mean, they were always brutal in San Bernardino. Like that's just the reality of what it was. Um, so yeah, some of these guys getting hurt and heat exhaustion and and, and concussions and all that kind of stuff. Um, it just it doesn't that doesn't stand a reason for me. If if it if it was a situation where um, Lopez comes out and says all these things about all the concussions he suffered, and then it turns out that he wasn't actually like he never was listed as having a concussion. Well, then that raises some alarms, right? That raises your, yeah. you know, your antenna a little bit. This, I mean, all these guys, like these concussions were reported. I knew about, I mean, we knew about the injuries that all these guys suffered, which makes me think just the simple fact that they were reported and that they were reported by the coaches and that these guys were sidelined and barely played. Like, I just, you know, it's it's not quite checking out for me. But obviously, I mean, I'm not going to. Uh, but but on the other hand, I I think there, like you said, I think there's some validity on a very basic level of what could have happened in the program to the guys who are named in that suit. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And then, and then it's interesting because in Chip Kelly's first year, you would have to say that, you know, someone suffered a concussion, you know, I, I wouldn't say UCLA overreact because I don't, I don't want to say that, but you'd say that they came down on the side of extreme caution. I mean, there were a lot of guys who suffered one concussion and, you know, were were literally laid up for the season. Um, I don't know. I've heard. I've heard some. I've never been. I haven't been able to confirm that that was a, a reflection of previous uh, concussion reactions but i think it also was chip kelly just literally feeling that that season wasn't worth endangering any anyone's health um we have had a couple of players who were deemed medically uh needed to medically retire and at ucla left and are now either playing somewhere or trying to play somewhere else so that's really interesting to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, there are so, so many issues in there uh, uh, from the player wanting to play to the parents allowing him to play necessarily to the other new program allowing him to play. UCLA not allowing him. I, there are so many things there that I find really, really, really interesting. I, I, and we are not an investigative body here at Bruin Report Online, but if the if the LA Times and the Register wanted to really do an interesting expose, it's like, okay, is there a standardized level here on what makes someone not able to play due to concussions anymore? I, I mean, it's this is almost sounding like it's a very subjective call on the doctors uh, from the doctor's standpoint and from the, the patient's standpoint. There's got to be something more standardized here. I'd, I'd have to feel. It, it sounds like you can go to one doctor, he says, no, you're done, and you could pretty much take your MRIs to anyone in town and get them to sign off. Yeah. Um, uh, that... To me, that that's really interesting, and and not only because a college 
sports, but the NFL with everything that's going on with CTE and all that, uh, that seems like something that really, really should be investigated. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, we have more to talk Dave, about. Dave, if you had a son, would you let him play high school football? No. No. Um, yeah. No, my, and my parents didn't let me play. Like, we were what if he were ahead of the curve. Six, Six four hundred ninety five pounds and ran a four four eight forty and could a thirty a forty two inch vertical and could catch any ball like with one hand. I think a lot. Pretty of much, that, I mean, like like a, the mirror image of you in high school. Obviously, um, yeah. I think a lot of that would translate to other sports. Uh, six four, that athletic. I mean, he's playing basketball. Okay. Yeah, okay. no, I, not not even not even a question. No way, not playing football. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mick, Could he be a kicker? Uh, sh- sure. Okay. But like, if you're going to be a kicker, the best thing to do is to actually not start kicking until late and play soccer. That's what everyone does, right? So just do that, or play Australian Rules rugby, I guess. But that probably yeah, leads to that's concussions what- as well. You just send our kids to Australia. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the, that's. Wouldn't that be a great thing for a kid? Like you're just like, hey, you're gonna go spend the next uh, I don't know six years in Australia. Enjoy. See you later. Have you have you ever watched Aussie Rules? It's fun. It's it's a crazy game. I really like it though. It's better than rugby to yeah. me. Yeah, it's really fun. Okay, all uh, right. Mick Cronin. Let's talk about Mick Cronin. Okay, he's been on the job now a few months, a couple months, whatever. Is he? He's been on it for a while now. Month and a half. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, you had some notes this week on different little team things, but um, also from a recruiting perspective, they've uh, certainly been active. Um, they had uh, Deshaun Nix. Deshaun? Deshaun? What Deshaun. are we going with? Deshaun Nix. Deshaun? Okay. Deshaun. I was sitting, I admit, uh, when I went out to Pangos, I was ended up sitting right next to his family. So I got, I my one main goal was to get the pronunciation of the name, and they yelled his name enough. So it's Dacian Nix. Okay. All right. I like yeah. it because it's uh, p- perfectly phonetic. Exactly. Um, Dacian Nix, um, who there was some talk that he might reclassify. Looks like he's not going to anymore. Um, so he would be for the next cycle. Um, had him on campus. Had uh, Jaden Hardy. Not Jalen. Jaden Hardy. Jaden Hardy. On campus as well, five-star uh, shooting guard in the 2020. I'm getting all my years screwed up now. 2021 class. Yes. Yeah, it's hard now that we're getting into the 2020s, man. You know, I remember back when I used to talk to you or talk to Greg Hicks, and we said, "Wow, 20 2013. That that's just weird." You know, when a 2013 player was a freshman in high school. Yeah. You know, that's just freaky. And now we're 2021, 2022. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Um, but anyway, had both of those guys on campus, and that would be a hell of a, uh, a hell of a little backcourt to have in the future. Um, but they they seem to have hit the ground running with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it, you know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, I think um, they've taken a while to to really take stock of where the program is. Uh, kind of what they'll need in terms of next season, uh, what they'll need in, in the 2020 class. Um, 
they, uh, you know, a lot of people have cited, well, they haven't gotten a commitment from anyone. Well, okay. They only, they literally only had one spot for this upcoming season. And, you know, no one was really, anyone who was available out there wasn't going to fit, <clears throat> excuse me, what, what they needed. Um, I think I like who they're going after. Put it that way. They they are clearly going after, for the easiest way to put it, UCLA type of kids. They're going after quality kids, uh, good academic kids, and I'm going to say this straight out because this is absolutely happening. They are trying to avoid, and I'm air quoting right now, the circus recruitment. You can just almost, I'm going to tell everyone right now, just get used to it. Top one, two, three, four kind of guys in the country. Most of the time, I don't think this program is going to be involved with them. Uh, I think they're making the conscious decision that given everything you have to invest in it, including that a lot of these, when I say circus, and I'm, and I'm ruining the fact that I air quoted this because now I'm going to say it, that a lot of them are just dirty recruitments. It's just not all worth it at all at UCLA when you can get someone else who isn't dirty, who might stay longer, be a better citizen, not be in trouble academically. I think that, that they came in and adopted that theory very quickly. Um, and you can see that. I mean, Dacian Nix, good good kid. He is still playing. He's playing with his, uh, he plays with the Las Vegas AU team. The Nike um, uh, e, EBYL league, well, I just said league twice because that L stands for league, yeah. uh, did everything they could to get Dacian Nix in it. And, and he still, you know, stood fast and decided th- that would be one more thing of selling out and and maybe not staying around the good influences that he has around himself. So they're going after those kind of kids, um, which I, I've, you and I have always advocated that that's all UCLA. Three, you can find three of those kids a year and, and win at UCLA. Uh, so I, I'm – Personally, very, very satisfied and happy with the direction they're going in. They're going in recruiting. Um, they had they had an uh, official visit this week in Maddie Sissoko, uh, who, like uh, Josh Gershon said on the board, probably like a perfect fit for what uh, Mick Cronin wants to do at UCLA. Um, and they're going to have another official visit. Uh, coming up very soon. <laughs> so I think they're, they're absolutely doing the right thing. Like I wrote in that, in that little tidbit, uh, Darren Savino, I think was a real key for the staff. Um, just being able, if you would have had to replace three, uh, uh, create a staff with three completely new assistants, so much of it would have been uh, Mick Cronin trying to impart to them what he wants out of his program, what he wants to teach, what he wants to emphasize, what they're going to do. Uh, they are able to just flash forward because of uh, 
Jaron Savino that he knows what to do immediately hitting the ground. Uh, you know, like let's say there are some recruits on on campus while they're having a workout. Coach Cronin can go get out in that brand new cart that they have for UCLA basketball and take them all over campus while Darren Savino runs runs the workout. Rather than if it was three new assistants, he wouldn't be able to do that. So Darren Savino is is key to this um, from everything I've learned so far. Um, so I'm really happy with the way it's going. I'd say just like with Chip Kelly, uh, I think a lot of the – 2020 recruits are in a wait and see mode. Uh, they want to see what UCLA is going to look like this season. Um, I would be a little surprised if UCLA, like maybe let's say it gets one verbal commitment before the season or something, but I don't think it will fill up its three rides. I think most of these guys are waiting to see what the UCLA season is going to be like. And I, I think the staff is probably going to wait a while too, because they have a big season, you know, They'll have they'll have recruits knocking down their door. Yeah, so, and and the potential is there for that. I mean, if if things absolutely. gel, there's certainly talent on this roster. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I said, like with Chip Kelly, it's all about just establishing, getting that one solidly successful season on the book, so you have something to sell. And I think if he does that, I, I think I think the program will be poised to take off and a lot quicker than football because you only need, you know, you can turn it around with one recruiting club. Yeah, um, basketball's always easier. We'll see if they just stick with three for 2020. There might be some some guys on the, on the roster who end up leaving after next year. Uh, not necessarily because they're ready to leave, but, you know, just so many pressures in school. You know, at UCLA, you need to find kids that aren't just tolerating the academic side, but actually are going to UCLA because they appreciate the academic side and not just trying to get through it. Right. So that will be an element too. But no, completely, really, really excited about it all. Washing Dacian Knicks, it was, you know, you and I are alike. We like going out watching guys who can pass the ball because it's becoming a forgotten art. Yeah. And he... He was trying at that Pangos camp <laughs> so desperately. And then he'd pass the ball a few times, and then he literally wouldn't. It's so funny. At that camp, one guy, after a made basket, someone takes the ball out. The other four guys are sitting at the baseline waiting for the guy who's taking the ball out to pass it into them. Because they all, they all the other four guys know, that's practically the only way they're going to touch the ball is if it's, it's passed into them. If not, every possession that the ball isn't passed into them, they're not going to touch it. So all four guys are sitting there going, give me the ball. <laughs> um, it, sometimes you can't get a guy to take the ball out because <laughs> they, they want the ball given to them. It's, yeah. So Dacian passed a few times, made some great no looks and all this, but you know they weren't, they weren't going to give him the ball because he might pass it to anyone. <laughs> You know, and then he got desperate and started shooting every time he touched it. So, but man, he can pass the ball. He's got that kind of, I think I even mentioned Lonzo Ball-esque kind of vision and passing ability, which was, which would be kind of fun to see at UCLA again. Yeah, I would take it. But in interviewing him, I think he's a long ways off from deciding. I think he's going to take all of his visits and I think he probably 
wants to see what UCLA is going to look like next season. I respect it. Why not? You got time. Don't make any quick decisions, kids. Kid. Kid. Um, all right, so that's uh, Mick Cronin, job he's doing so far. We also wanted to talk about the UCLA program, generally, and uh, kind of its u- unique positioning in the world of... The football program. Yeah, in the world of college football, um, because it is... There's there's a few different avenues you t- you can take here, um, but one of them is kind of following a model that's a little bit different from, you know, you can, you have a model to success that's a little bit different from say the model to success that an SEC school has, which is dependent entirely on how much cash flow is coming from your boosters, um, to an extent, entirely, fully. But UCLA <laughs> has a different avenue to take, Tracy, and what what would you say that is? Well, this was inspired by that one question on the board, and I, I found it really interesting. Like, where does UCLA fit in in this in college football today? Where could it fit in? Can it compete with the Alabamas and the Ohio States? And, you know, is it capable of doing that? And uh, you and I talked before this. Um, we wasted a lot of time talking before we actually went on this podcast. Um, UCLA, I think, has a chance of becoming a very unique kind of program in college football. Like I said on the board, it's kind of it could be Stanford plus to me. Um, it will go after academic kids, so that's going to limit what it the kind of kids it could get. But I think ultimately, if UCLA has good coaching and it and it's winning uh, moderately, eight, nine, ten wins. Um, I think it has the capability of taking it to another level more than Stanford because the academic uh, res- aren't as restrictive, the admissions standards, as Stanford. It's in Los Angeles. It's sitting on a better recruiting base. And, I mean, let's just face it. UCLA is more fun, right? So yeah. I think it could carve out a little interesting elite niche. Um, and this is all contingent. And why UCLA was not capable of doing this before is because it could never compete from a financing standpoint. It was always doing things on a shoestring. Uh, Now that's not the case. It's got a bright, gleaming new facility. All that everyone, you can, all the recruits rave about the sports uh, science that's going on there. Um, it's got a good coaching staff. It friggin' got Chip Kelly, which was the you know he was the number one most sought coaching uh, candidate on the market at the time. It has the funds now to support a very competitive, a highly competitive program. So it, it I don't think it could ever be Alabama or Ohio State. It just doesn't have that kind of culture. Uh, I mean, people live and die for football with those programs and people don't do that in Los Angeles. You know, you can always go to the beach. So it, I don't think it could possibly be on that level, but it, it has a chance now that it's funded and it has all those resources to be a Stanford plus. And I think that's unique. I, I can't think of any other, what other programs are consistently top 10 and competing to get into the college football playoffs that are UCLA's academic standard. Agreed, but I think that's 
I mean, M- Michigan probably. Yeah, right? Michigan. Um, but they have that culture too. So, yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, I, I I agree with all of that. I think that is an avenue to success for UCLA. They could absolutely pursue. But I guess my thing is what's unique for me about UCLA is that there are many different avenues to, I think, top tier success, or at least a couple that I can think of. Um, the one that you've outlined, I think, is an interesting one, and it seems to be the one that maybe Chip Kelly is already trying to pursue. But when I'm thinking about the best periods of UCLA football, they weren't following that model. Uh, Jim Mora, I mean, let's go back through just the past 20 years. Um, and the best run in that period is Jim Mora's, um, early, uh, recruiting like USC more or less, um, that top five 2013 class, um, a really good close in the 2012 class sustained a program that was built on super high level recruiting and recruiting, you know, top tier guys across the board. Um, and, if you if you if instead of um, Jim Mora, the coach had been somebody with, and this isn't I'm not even trying to throw shade at Jim Mora, but somebody with real X's and O's chops, like real like a really just fine coach, like say a Chip Kelly, um, who really has those offensive chops. Maybe the ceiling on that period isn't ten and three in back to back years. Maybe the ceiling on that period is an actual you know, trip to the playoff in the, you know, 2014 or uh, BCS, you know, bid or, or attempt it or real hard attempt at one or at the very least a conference title. Um, but I think the limit on those teams wasn't anything systemic at UCLA. It was just the quality of of the, the staff they had. Um, and I think there were some good things about that staff. I think Noel Mazzoni, I think we give him a little bit of short shrift sometimes. But those first couple of years, that was something different and new that UCLA was doing. Um, that they hadn't done previously, um, a spread offense. Um, but a level of innovation with your coaching coupled with just simply taking advantage of the natural recruiting advantages that UCLA has, you don't have to pursue a model like Stanford or Washington or anything like that. You can pursue a model that looks a little bit like USC. Maybe not, maybe not at that top, top where they're, you know, they can compete in the South for SEC schools, weirdly sometimes, but close enough. I mean, that, that 2013 class, but when any time UCLA has been at its peak powers from a recruiting standpoint, they've been right there with USC. Um, so I don't, I, 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 I don't know why you would willingly just kind of sacrifice that standing. Um, I, when you self-filter down from that, yeah, maybe you have a little bit better character in the program. Maybe the program discipline's a little bit better. But I think a lot of this gets solved by winning. Um, and I think I'm just being, to take to it. I completely agree with you, 100%. But I, I was just applying the most immediate scenario, and that's because we have Chip Kelly as our coach. He's not going to do it the USC way. He's going to do it his unique way, yeah. which is similar to a Stanford model. And I think that is also possible, but again, with the stand, I, I think what it does is it reduces your margin for error. Um, you need to then you need to fill your spots when you have them. You need to fill out your roster when you can, um, and you need to take guys with the eye of developing them. And you can't be. I think you 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 because you're recruiting to character, because you're recruiting to academic fit so much. You have to project a little bit better, and I think they've done it to an extent, but if you're only ending up with 20 guys in your initial recruiting class, and I know they've filled it out since then, but that wasn't the initial plan. The initial plan was that they wanted to recruit more. Um, 
you've got to you got to hit your marks a little bit better. Um, and so if they're gonna do that, I, I I'd, I'd want to see them really really doing it, doing it from like a well planned logistical sense of the word. And um, we'll see if that ends up happening. See, and I, I, I've always thought that the thing that would always have set back UCLA's it, Jim Mora. Jim Mora kind of straddled the era. He he came in when UCLA didn't have a lot of money. He was one of the force. He was one of the forces that pushed them to to build Wasserman. Obviously, he gave some of his own money toward it. I mean, he pushed them to get out of the the UCLA dark era. Um, so he straddles it. Um, he came in when uh, UCLA was pretty cheap. Uh, you know, Bob Toledo was was successful when UCLA was still pretty cheap. And I, I just don't think no matter who you are, it's hard to compete at a high level consistently if you're just underfunded. Yeah. Um, it, it just it just really can't happen. And. From from just this mere standpoint, let's say for whatever reason, this isn't the Chip Kelly scenario, but because Chip Kelly obviously costs a lot of money and we know him to be a very good, valid coach. But let's say you happen to find a young up-and-comer. You're cheap. You find a young up-and-comer. He comes in. He's a fantastic coach. He builds a program, and they're, he, and they're winning at a very high level. They're winning the Pac-12. They're potentially going to the, to the college football playoff. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be sustained because that coach is eventually gonna have to be paid a lot of money. He's gonna. His assistants are gonna go elsewhere. He's gonna have to pay that. He's gonna have to find the money to pay for his staff. Uh, he's gonna find a limitation when he goes to compete with the guys you're talking about consistently. The recruits you're talking about. It, you know, other schools are gonna be saying, "Well, we fly on a charter all the time. Look at this this player lounge we have." You, you need to be funded no matter what, or it's just not going to be sustained. And that's the biggest advancement easily in UCLA football. I mean, it, it does feel a little surreal when you walk on campus and, and you see the Wasserman Center. And then secondly, when you hear all the recruits just saying, wow, no, the, I mean, the sports science is amazing. The facilities there are incredible. I mean – USC's facilities don't really right now aren't on UCLA's level. Um, UCLA right now, and we won't get into why USC might not have a great amount of money. <laughs> it might be going towards other things. UCLA has more money going into its football program right now than USC. So that is something that needed to happen if you were ever going to sustain, sustain it. And Jim Mora pushed it that way. So you need funding, you need, and you need good coaching. Those two things, if you get that at UCLA, I think no matter if it goes down your, uh, the kind of, the, if it goes down the, uh, the kind of scenario that I outlined or yours, mine's more Stanford-esque because of Chip Kelly's there. Yours was more competing on kind of the USC uh, level. Either way, you need those two things. And that's and but I think that is truly what's unique about UCLA is that you could do either. Yeah, you, you can you can choose your own adventure here, um, and in a way that even USC can't. Now, obviously, they're probably never going to turn away from what has worked for them in the past. But uh, UCLA does have that unique thing, and maybe Stanford now has it an ex- to an extent, just because they have one at a level. But they don't have that recruiting base, so it is 
a unique spot. Um, and it's just, it's a testament to the underperformance of UCLA over the last, I don't know, uh, six decades that <laughs> nobody's been able to really put it together at a consistent level. Um, for, but I for think the tools, stretch. the tools and the resources are now there. True. And Chip Kelly will be a very interesting experiment because no matter what you say about recruiting and if you are well coached, you will eventually win, especially in the Pac-12. And no matter how long that takes, I think you will win. And if what I'm saying now, if you win at UCLA and you have resources, it's unprecedented where the program could go. So this is going to be – we're moving into territory that we really haven't seen before. It's, unpre- be- it's unprecedented where a program can go. It can even reach yeah. the heights – of the UCLA softball and baseball teams. Ah, segue, segue. See that? You like that? Uh, so softball won the national championship early this week, uh, winning on a walk-off. Was uh, that the one of the best ending to a sporting event? It was very cool. That you've seen in like recent years? And the level of excitement was awesome. Just- Oklahoma, one strike left. What? <laughs> and, she, and she parks it, and she's friends with... Rachel Garcia, they were tra- on their travel team. They were roommates. I, I mean, I, you can't write a script like that. So good. Yeah. So good. Um, so softball won the national title. Um, so that is locked in. And then baseball, um, in its own regional, found itself in the loser bracket and had to win three straight to come out of the regional and did just that. Uh, beating LMU for the final time Monday night uh, to secure a trip to the Super Regionals where they will take on Michigan uh, in L.A. this weekend. Um, so that is two of that, the... That uh, was kind of like their Missouri. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, that's not easy, but, I mean, look, I mean, this UCLA baseball team has been pretty much wire-to-wire wire number one, at least since January. Um, so they're used to they're used to winning a lot of games, so winning, you know... Winning three games in a row is no, no big shocker for them, but they were able to accomplish it, um, and now they will uh, go into uh, Super Regional with their own Garcia, Ryan Garcia, uh, starting pitcher. Um, I think he'll be taking the mound on Friday, and the only concern I'd have here is they had to use a ton of pitching to get through yeah. um, the Regional. Um, I think on the, I want to say it was the Sunday game, uh, they had to use, I think, nine pitchers, um, so... Yeah, they're young. They're gonna have four days off. Come on, four. You can you can pitch on four days rest. Yeah, whatever. What's an element? What's an elbow? Right? What's a what's what's Tommy John surgery? Who cares? I mean, where did Garcia get? I mean, his future big win a national championship. That's, that's my joke. Remember that. Who yeah, cares? That's, First round, second I mean, round, whatever. Go win a national 13 title. Thirteen guys drafted. Yeah, no, and four and four recruits and yeah. one one of the recruits went higher than anyone on the team. Yeah, and so Savage. <laughs> So this is a uh, I don't know enough about softball and you know that's a personal failing. But Savage is an it's is. What, what's interesting about Savage is he you're getting with Savage as the baseball coach what UCLA fans have longed for with basketball and football, which is a coach who recruits his butt off and just is a master at it. It's almost down to a science where he recruits guys. The few guys he recruits who are top tier guys, who are like the top top tier, the ones who might get drafted out of high school, he scouts them out and sees whether or not they're actually going to come on campus, and he's got a really good handle on whether or not he can get a guy into school 
who might otherwise decide to go pro and it just he's very good very good at it and he combines it with being probably the best or top five pitching coach in the entire country um so that's what i'm saying here's here's the this is the scenario at ucla you get a really elite coach look what happened oh yeah it's and it's and this is i mean it's a perfect model for football or basketball and it's just you got to match. You, you got to match the recruiting and and your coaching. I think Chip Kelly obviously has the recruiting. Ac- obviously has the coaching acumen. Um, <clears throat> I almost I almost caught myself there. Uh, but recruiting wise, I I still don't know. I still don't know if this model is going to work out long term. Um, I think it's worth a shot at this point because you're already down the road with it. Um, I think there's a better model as I laid out just a few minutes ago. Um, but maybe it'll work. But when you can nail both things um, at a really, really high level, like Savage has done, I mean UCLA, you can you can be a lead every year, every year. There's no limit to the potential for your program. And I'm going to go out. I'm going to go a little bit on a limb. I I I think things have changed since Ethan Young has taken over as director of player personnel for football. I agree. I think I think there's a blend of. The Stanford model, which is Chip Kelly, and then the USC model, I, I think there's a good blend there. And I think it's the exact apt uh, scenario that UCLA needs, the exact formula to move forward given what UCLA is. It just needs to get a winning season on the books. But I, I, softball, softball, I mean, come on. 12th national championship. Hasn't won since 2010. Took a little dip there, you know, coming back. But this is this is like, I mean, how how similar can you be to UCLA basketball? You know, the number one, uh, the program that's won the most national championships in history just won number twelve. Um, so you heard you heard it here first, folks. Tracy Pearson predicting a national title for UCLA basketball this year, number twelve. Next. This year coming in, yep. Um, and if we're, and here's the thing that breaks everyone's heart: if Rachel Garcia were coming back for a third year, you'd have to say they were favored even over Oklahoma, which just keeps loading up on talent in softball. But she's going to. She played on the U.S. national team, and she's gonna. You know what? It's that. It's that s- stupid thing called the Olympics. The Olympics weren't next next summer. Rachel Garcia would probably be. I don't know this at all, and probably there are people listening who know this better, but I'd have to think if the Olympics weren't next summer, she'd be coming back for her senior season at UCLA. So, But even so, they've got – they had the three Gatorade players of the year, 300 years in a row. One was a freshman pitcher, and I think they got one of the best pitchers in the country the year before. So they're going to have the pitching, and they still have – they're returning – all of their key hitters and bringing in some some big time recruits. So I mean, Bubba Nichols is she's amazing. She's center fielder, mm-hmm. the lead. I mean, she's the leadoff hitter and she hit the most home runs on the on the team. She's she's phenomenal. So she'll be a senior next year. So I, they really have a chance next year too. So I just wanted everyone to get excited about softball for another year. There yeah, get excited about softball, everyone. That's that is that is the UCLA slogan. <laughs>
Oh, Dave. So we're gonna be we're gonna be getting close into thinking about what UCLA's record might be in football next year. Yep. Right. I mean, we're kind of inching toward that. I have my I have my uh, my my early early prediction. Maybe you should hold off on that. Or do okay. you are I already are posted it on the board, do? but I can hold off. Okay. What was it? I didn't even see it. Why don't you tell me when you? Post? So after, con- well, because I'm in the midst of those primers, right? Um, so oh, I was right. looking at all the opponents and all this kind of stuff, and I, I there's some teams that I think are going to take a clear step back this year, uh-huh. and I think the weakness of the league is going to allow UCLA to get to seven and five. Um, so the reason is, so non-conference, I've got them losing to Cincinnati and Oklahoma and beating San Diego State at home, um, and then. It's so they be, start out one and two. Yeah, but and it's going to be a tough start to conference play too because I've got them losing to Washington State and then beating Arizona. So they'll be two and three after five. Like, but then they get Oregon State, and I mean, look, it's sad up there in Corvallis. Um, games, games at the Rose Bowl, hard to see that being a win for Oregon State. So three and three going into that first bye week. Um, then uh, I think Stanford takes a big step back this year. Uh, they lost oh. four starting offensive linemen from last year. They weren't great last year. Um, they lost Bryce Love. Um, and it's not so much that Bryce Love was any good last year. It was more that um, nobody else in that running back group is any good. Um, Cameron Scarlett sucks. Sorry, he just does. Um, so I, I don't see that turning out great for them. I don't think they'll have much of a running game. And they also lost most of those big receivers. Um, so wait, wait, wait. Just stop for a second. You you say a win at Arizona, but a loss at Cincinnati. Yes. And so, a win at Washington, a loss at Washington State. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A win, you know, so you're not buying, I, I got to admit, I didn't listen to your, your podcast champions. Are you saying Arizona's getting like unnecessary hype? I don't think they're yes, getting. They're hype. getting a lot of hype. Are they now. really getting any hype? I think they are. They're saying that they're one of the teams to watch in the Pac-12 South because they've got no. It's uh, the South Tate garbage. The, no, they're 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 trash, and and they still haven't figured out trash. how to play with uh, Cleo Tate. Um, no, they'll be like six and six, I guess, but they're not great. Okay. Um, I think it's a and decent match. Game. I think it's a decent matchup for UCLA. Um, okay. so all right, so Arizona win, Stanford. I'm calling it a win. I'm doing it. Wow. Yep. Yep, it's finally reached that point where I'm going to call them a win again, even though I swore never to do that. Um, and then I've got them winning two straight against ASU and Colorado at home. So okay. they will have won at that point. Or I think it would be three. five straight. Arizona, Oregon State, Stanford, ASU, Colorado. So they're, they're six and three. Six and three at that point. Then I have them losing back-to-back to Utah and USC. Six and six. Six and, well, that's that's no, that's six and five. Oh, six and five. Sorry, six and five. then Cal, and then beat Cal. Okay, so I I think they I think they beat Cincinnati. I'm pretty close with you. I think they beat Cincinnati. Um, it's certainly possible. Um, Cincinnati though was good last year, eleven win team, and they really didn't lose a whole lot. They lost their defensive tackles. Um. But their offense returns almost entirely intact, and that was starting to hit a rhythm at the end of the last year. Yeah. So I don't know. Here's a here's seriously like it's not the most interesting game every year anyway. But the USC game, <laughs> there's so much attached to this game. I, 
At this point, I would say UCLA wins that game, but it's impossible to know because... Well, count up my conference games there because that'll tell you exactly how big it is. I've yeah. got it at 6-3 and three in conference, and if they beat USC, that's 7-2, and two, and I don't think there's a 7-2 and two, uh, team in the South that's ever lost a division. So... So, but the whole thing, I mean, it's too variable to even be able, is SC, does SC have a good season? They're going to start, they have a tough, tough schedule to start out. Do they recover? Do they come back? Are things, are the wheels falling off by the end of the the season? Yeah, no, I think they're going to be, they're probably going to fire Clay Helton. um, Okay, that's the, that's the next thing. So they're going to fire him mid-season because here's what they start out with. Fresno State at home which they could easily lose. Stanford at home, which they could easily lose. They have to go on the road to BYU, which should be improved. They could easily lose that. They host Utah, and Utah's going to be the favorite in the South. So that's I think not that's great. two and two. And okay. then Washington, they have to go on the road. So, two and three. And then they have to go on the road to Notre Dame. Two and four. So two and four, I think, is the most reasonable case for what happens in the first six games. And they fire him right then. They fire him right then. Um, and then they get the, the soft part of the schedule. But that's still Arizona at home. They probably win that easily. Colorado on the road, they probably win that fairly easily. Oregon at home, I don't know. Uh, they have to go on the road to ASU. I would say in that group, they probably go 3-1, and 2-2, two and two, something like that. And then USC, Cal, and then uh, UCLA at home. So they go on the road to Cal and then play UCLA at home. So maybe 1-1. One and one. So in that last stretch of six games, 4-2. and two. So six and six overall. So, okay. So there's a lot of different things here to talk about. First off, just the, the UCLA game, whether it's a win or loss, I say, given your scenario, I think UCLA beats USC. You said they'd lose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I think that kind of changes things. Then talking just about USC uh, in your scenario, it's the points moot, but let's say, Clay Helton's hanging in, and what are the expe- what what are the expectations for keeping him at that job? What is he? He's got to win the South. He's would got, you say he's got a hit? I think he's got a. What hit is our nine boy he, Ryan Abraham saying over there on the podcast of champions? He's saying if he goes anything less than eight, if he goes eight and four or less, he's he's probably toast. Eight wins gets him fired, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. USC doesn't tolerate eight wins. Um. So. Uh, that would mean you would he would need a win over UCLA. You'd have to think for them to keep Clay Hulk mm-hmm. generally. So that's a good question to pose to most UCLA fans. Would you want to trade a loss to USC to keep Clay Helton at USC because? Yeah, you might be rolling the dice. You might they might get a pretty bad coach to replace him. But I'm telling you, the way this is lining up, come on, Urban Meyer is going to get that job, don't you think? Yeah, it's so lining up. Everything about it. I mean, it's so USC for them to hire Urban Meyer when there's you know there's problem there uh, there's so many issues against it like with the money that U- USC is outlaying for for uh, its various scandals its sexual harassment 
scandals, that's going to go over a billion dollars. And whether they ethically, morally would be able to rationalize spending money on a football coach. And he was making, what, seven, eight million dollars at Ohio State. I think his buyout gets him at like five million dollars for USC to get him to come out of his retirement. That's going to cost them, Dave, eight to nine million, you mm-hmm. think, a year. So they sign him to a six year deal and the headlines are splashed around literally <laughs> I mean at nine at least nine million a year for I mean it's gonna be like a forty, fifty million dollar deal, something like that. More than that, even but I don't think would SC care that they're spending that much money? No. We think they wouldn't, right? They'd do it in a flash. But morally and ethically, would you can you hire that guy given that he what the controversy he came off at Ohio State? I, I mean, I think morally they can do it. It might be the money that keeps them from hiring him. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's partially possible. I think the new leadership there might have some moral considerations, ethical considerations, but the board there, the people who actually supply the money. I don't know. I think they're going to be desperate at that point. They'll hire whoever. So don't yeah. you don't you think it look? It's just all setting up. He's going to be in L.A. Right? I think he's getting a job with Fox in where he's going to be working out of Los Angeles. Yep. I don't know. I think, but yeah. Okay. So do you trade the USC loss to keep Play Helton so they don't hire Urban Meyer, or do you just say screw it? Anytime you say I can beat SC, you got to take it. I think if they don't choose to hire, to fire Helton after those first six games, they're probably not going to fire him. So I think you take the win regardless. And honestly, even if they were going to fire him, you take the win regardless. It's more important for Kelly's program to find solid footing at this point than for anything to happen with USC. Um, That's what I think, too. Yeah. I mean, they've got to go. They have to go, like, 7-5. and five. Um, I think that's a, an absolute necessary thing for uh, Chip Kelly to have success at UCLA. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we worked that out. Urban, SC, you can hire Urban. Doesn't matter. (laughs) I know they were waiting for what we were going to say that we were going to sign off. And that's, I mean, everyone is waiting with bated breath for what (laughs) the broadcast will sign off on. And we have provided our, uh, you know, our diktat from the, uh, from the, from the. What does our guy Ryan say? I'm sorry. I haven't listened to the, what does he say? What does he, I I mean, that's the thing. I know, but. Okay. No, he Somebody said did. he said if they if they go eight and four or less, he's probably getting fired. And I mean, what does he think about Urban Meyer? Oh, I I don't think it's anywhere near down the road yet to figure that out. I don't okay. I, I don't get the impression they've done a whole lot of negotiating yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Okay, Dave. All right, Tracy. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.